Hey guys, this is Bill Oberst Jr., and you're listening to Without Your Head Horror, the station of decapitation. Keep your head. Stay tuned. Hey, how's it going? Good things. Good things. Now, um, without giving too much away, can you guys uh, tell everyone who hasn't seen the movie yet, uh, give them an idea what it's about? Do you want me to take this one out? Yeah, man, go ahead. Sure. Um, so, so Bornless Ones is basically about a, a young woman named Emily who uh, recently took full responsibility of her brother, Zach, who has a cerebral palsy. Um, after Emily's mom passed away. And uh, at the suggestion of her fiancé, Jesse, they decide to move to a house uh, nearby uh, a hospital for Zach so they can balance their life and him. And uh, during this move, their friends Woodrow and uh, Michelle accompany them. Um, but unbeknownst to the group, uh, the, the house they move into has uh, boards etched in with symbols on all the windows, and each board they pull off essentially releases a demon that uh, has the house has been enchanted with. Uh, once all demons are released, the game begins, where each of the new house residents now have to face their own deepest, darkest fears as they fight to survive and protect each other. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Alex, Alex, like, uh, what inspired you uh, to, to uh, write the movie? So, uh, honestly, my friend, we just wanted to do something, you know, that reminds us of horror films from the 90s and 80s. Do something, you know, like in-your-face horror kind of type of thing. You know, trying to not use as much suspense as they do right now, you know, not showing you what's actually happening, Mm -hmm. trying to scare you. So we wanted to have like a bloody, you know, sexy, dark comedy style horror film that we all loved back in the days. And you know, one of the one of the strangest scores, Evil Dead, is the one we are we always compared to. Mm-hmm. But it was mostly, you know, like a setup inspiration. It was like a setup of people being in a cabin in the woods and getting possessed and killing one another, even though they're friends and love each other. Yeah. So uh, you know, Shining as always, I guess everyone everyone says that one. Mm-hmm. And there was a few other films that I not even 
they didn't have any horror films. Like they just, uh, I just saw, you know, some dramatic elements that I really liked about, uh, you know, a person who is, who is disabled that we have in our film as well. Mm-hmm. And I, basically, prisoners. That's what. That's how I got the idea about the the, the cerebral palsy guy. So that's that's it, pretty much. Mm-hmm. How did you get involved in the movie, Devin? Uh, actually, uh, Alex and I uh, discussed this very, very early on before the script was even created. Um, essentially, we had a house um, that, that, that came to us that um, basically uh, a buddy of mine mentioned uh, he had access to. And so we thought, okay, what could we shoot at a house? Mm-hmm. And the idea of a horror film came up, and I brought Alex in to, to talk about this because I worked with him previously, and he had this amazing eye for horror and it just kind of stuck out with me. And so, um, together, uh, we, we discussed this whole thing and decided that we were going to do a horror film, had no idea what it was going to be about. But I mentioned to Alex that if he, uh, if he wrote the script, I'd produce it. And, uh, within like a couple of weeks, he basically sent me over, uh, the first 10, I think it was about 10 pages of the script. And it was the grabber sequence of the movie. And I fell in love with it there, and we we continued just uh, working working on it and working it out until it is what it is today. Yeah. So did Alex write uh, the role of Jesse for you specifically, or uh, when you read the script, it was one the, that you wanted to play? Um, uh, it, it was kind of a back and forth uh, with Alex. I mean, he likes to to give me shit basically, so I I I'd like to say that he he wrote it with me in mind, but um. <laughs> There were elements I, I thought that uh, that that were very different from my character as well. But I'll, I'll Alex also answer that question. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> we, we originally we were planning to cast some people for this part, but Devin was also you know he wanted to be involved in acting uh, as well. This this he's uh, this, this, this that's why he's a filmmaker because he he likes to be an actor, right, my friend? Yeah. And so you know, and since we are you know we're both starting together. And we're coming, you know, from the bottom. Uh, it was probably a good idea to have, you know, to give your bodies an opportunity to do what they want. And, you know, we all, we all we both, both respect each other very well. And, uh, you know, everyone was doing what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I wrote it for, for him pretty much. Yeah. And uh, you already mentioned the Zach character. And it's really, uh, that's a really original uh, addition to the movie. I haven't really seen that in anything else. And uh, was that um, is that inspired by by anything personal, or is it just something you thought would be uh, cool for the movie or interesting for the movie? You talking about Cerebral Palsy guy? Yeah. No, honestly, uh, it was. I, I I watched The Prisoners, the film with Hugh Jackman mm-hmm. and Jack Gyllenhaal, and there was this one disabled character that uh, you know I don't know if you've seen the film, but they played it very well because the whole film you think he is the one that you know, committed a crime, and you never know if he did it because he is disabled. And that, I felt like this character was just very interesting for me, and I decided to, uh, to create, you know, a horror film kind of around the same idea. And uh, and then we, then I, I you know, started research, researching the cerebral palsy thing, and basically it's just, it's one of the awfulest things you can imagine. You know, the person actually really, like, understands and can hear and see whatever's happening around them, but he can't interact with the with the world. And I felt, you know, like giving a person like this an opportunity to walk and talk, even through being, you know, possessed by demons, is like an interesting thing to play with. Yeah, I think it really adds a lot to the to the evil character, the demons, because they're, you know, they have something to prey on. Uh, it, it's a 
you know, there's temptation there. Sometimes I think uh, when you have a, a story about you know someone selling their soul to the, the devil or demon, sometimes you think, well, you know, why would they do that? But it makes sense, you know, here because that's obviously a great inspiration for us, you know, the, yeah, pretty clear motivation, yeah. I think it's also interesting in this story, and um, it, it's because the the demons also kind of relate to this character. You know, they they're also trapped outside of of the world, but can kind of see what's going in on it. And so there is a there is a scene towards the end where they talk, where they basically say, "I thought, you know, you understood us." And uh, to me, that was a really interesting thing because I mean, they, they both kind of shared this this aspect of seeing the world but not being able to interact with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and uh, the, the, just the name, the Bornless Ones. Uh, where did uh, you know who came up with that? Because I think that's uh, I love that title. I think that you know grabs you right away. Uh, I, Alex, actually, uh, it, it was uh, actually the the film was originally named uh, Goetia. And that was based on the, the, the book and the demonology that all this is, is, is uh, based on. Um, but funny enough, our, our sales agent hated the name um, and said it was too difficult to pronounce. So <laughs> he asked us to come up with something different. And uh, at, the, at the end of the film, we, we mentioned actually that, that name specifically, the Bornless Ones. And it, it's part of the, the invocation that this is all built upon. It's, it's the idea of the the ones who were never born and so um we we essentially took it from from that aspect mm-hmm. and uh yeah we also didn't make up the name it's just it's it's basically goethe is a book that was written by king salomon it's about invocation and like how to summon 72 demons from hell and they actually call them bornless ones in this in this ancient books oh wow is there... yeah so it's like a it's like a real name for those demons that's how they call them oh I always think if you uh, add something from, you know, uh, history in, into, like, a story, it always adds a little bit of uh, realism to it because, you know, it's something that's been around for a while. And were any of the other... Yeah, actually, uh, go, yeah go on, sorry. Yes, Goetia is pretty much... It's, if we're talking about, you know, demonology as a science, Goetia would be your book to go because it's, like, the closest one scientifically, you know, because it was written a long time ago. No one knows, you know, when, apparently by King Solomon, who was, like, a wizard... It actually exists, and a lot of people actually, you know, worship it. Mm-hmm. Were any of the other um, uh, the the names or any of the symbols uh, anything from uh, from mythology or history? Yeah, they're all real. They're all real. There's 72 demons, and every one of those demons listed in this book uh, is actually like responsible for different things. So you can you can summon the demons to get the knowledge or heal people. Or you know, so basically they are supposed to help. They're, like, so they're supposed to help when you when you summon them. Yeah. Did but you, in our story, they don't. Yeah. Did either of you guys like uh, have knowledge of that previously, or was it something uh, you know you uh, you looked up solely for the movie? No, it was just research, my friend. It's research, and I found this book, and I found all the seventy-two demons, and they all have like this cool signs that we thought are very nice, you know, and so. And we just, you know, went from there. Because, you know, like when you make a film, you kind of brainstorm, like, the, the backstory sure. all the time, trying to find the, the best one. Mm-hmm. So we just went with this one and just research of, you know, Wikipedia. Yeah. yeah and I, I, also, I also thought in the research process it was rather interesting. Because each one of these 72 different demons essentially exhibit elements of the, the human nature. And I, I, I thought that was, that was something that was, that was pretty unique, uh, 
in, in this concept, you know, because because it's either it's not necessarily just just positive things, but it's also negative things, you know, and it's kind of counterbalance of of human nature. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, when you said earlier about you know comparisons Evil Dead, obviously, and uh, of course that's there. But when I was watching, I actually thought a lot of the demons kind of reminded me of in a way from Exorcist because uh, they're playful. And they also, you know, prey on people's guilts and weaknesses, and uh, I think that's a good portrayal, you know, of uh, of evil. And I also think that's probably a lot of the, when people say people have demons, like, I think that's uh, kind of where that, that might come from. You know, uh, uh, before, you know, people knew about addiction and stuff, you would think, uh, this guy's obsessed, you know, possessed by a demon because, uh, you know, they have all these uh, different problems. Exactly, and I, I I think it's also kind of unique because you know they might be a demon, but it's also a a perception or you know the the perception of a point of view. You know, to these to these demons, they're just trying to to be a part of the world. To us, they're doing they're they're wrecking havoc on these people. You know, but it's all it's all perception in that case. And so, exactly to your point, it's just kind of uh, the aspect of, of of people or or their demons inside them as well. And uh, Alex said earlier about it being a, a dark comedy, and this, you know, uh, what's a, you know, how do you find the balance there? Because there are uh, a lot of the, the stuff the demons say are funny, but also there's like really dark stuff in the movie. So you know, I don't know if you, you know, you don't want to go uh, too much one way or the other. Uh, you know, my friend. So originally it wasn't supposed to be that funny, I would say, but you know, when I get on set and you have like a bunch of young people having fun, all the demons are very, you know, dirty in a way, and it's just like a lot of stuff that comes up, and you, you know, there's nothing you can do with it, and we just went with it, and, you know, when I was editing it, too, I, I see it's actually kind of very funny. I mean, the beginning was all, always, you know, a little bit funny and quirky, so we're trying, we're going for it, and, you know, what we decided, you know, no one has, no one has ever walked out from the theater and said, like, you know, I fucking, I fucking hated the film because I was laughing so much. So we thought, you know, uh-huh. and, and, you know, horror is, all, horror, horror is always sexy. Horror is always, I mean, sometimes horror is funny as, as well. And I feel like more emotions you can feel is always better for, you know, the people who watch it for the audience. Yeah. And, you know, so we just went with it and, you know, embraced it. And I think it works out pretty well. Uh, where, where did you find the actor played Zach? Because he really does uh, with, the, with the guy with cerebral palsy. Because he really does a really good job, and I think that would be, you know, a hard role to uh, to do. Yeah, he's a he's a big deal now. He's on Teen Wolf. He doesn't even talk to us. I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, actually, just just you know, we had a casting director, and uh, just doing like regular auditions, you know, from from people from Breakdown Express and early casting, and he came in. And I think it was his like second audition ever in his life, right, Devin? Does I remember? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he never did it. That was his first feature film ever. I mean, and most of his work was always voiceover. So that was yeah. his first in-person, you know, uh, casting session. Yeah, he was super excited though. He was watching the videos of people having seizures, the people with cerebral palsy having seizures, and we were kind of, you know, rehearsing the way he would be moving and stuff like that. So and he's just he's a crazy talented guy, you know. He, he nailed it. Yeah. Yeah, and he actually, uh, that was one of our first casting sessions, too, and he, he persisted, because we had quite a long casting session, and he persisted through it all, so, I mean, it, he definitely stood out. Mm-hmm. And uh, all the effects are really uh, well done. Uh, do you, who did you guys have uh, on board to do the effects? Uh, we had this girl, her name is Christina Ellery. She was uh, she was a key makeup artist, and... Uh, 
yeah, she's just she's just amazing, man. And like we just we because we you know like pre-production you discuss every every single thing that you want you're gonna see in the movie because they have to prep all the prosthetics, all the all the stuff. And I think everything we we discussed worked out pretty well for us. And you know, uh, we we knew that makeup is gonna be uh, like a very important part of our movie because since it's it's a very gory film, mm-hmm. so we are like. We we knew we were gonna have to spend you know like a big chunk of our budget just for makeup, and I think it was the right idea to do mm-hmm. to and do that. How hard was it, uh, Devin, to uh, for, for the for the eye effects? <laughs> uh, Alex always makes a joke that every time I put on that 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 prosthetic, uh, I became a dick. <laughs> but it was mostly just because I couldn't see anything. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so, so um, it, it was pretty rough. I think I, I wore that for practically a week solid. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it, it 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 was uh, there. There were days where uh, just walking. Around. I mean, there was actually a couple times where uh, I had well, I had the, the the prosthetic with the actual needle in it, and that that was kind of scary because you're having this this thing protruding out of your eye that if anyone touches you, you're really afraid of it actually poking your eye out. So. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, so it was it was challenging, but I mean at the same time it's it's just a fun experience because you're you're part of this really cool thing, and then you're part of this 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 really disgusting uh, situation that just every time I mean I even watch it it it, it makes me cringe. Yeah, so. yeah. I, yeah, they've been snapped only two times, like <laughs> go get crying, but you know we managed we managed man. Yeah, I, I had a LASIK surgery uh, several years ago, so anytime I see anything involving eyes, it's always kind of uh, off-putting for me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember reading the script, and I was just like, oh, how are we going to do that? But, oh, that's just so gross. And that, <laughs> Yeah, it, it's great. I, I really enjoy it now. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think David told me once, so one of, the, one of the days that we were doing the eye prosthetic, he actually didn't, like, Close, like didn't close his eye all the way, didn't shut his eye all the way, and it was like open for the whole day, pretty much, right? <laughs> all right. So, so in, in the the makeup room, they put in this gauze or whatever in in the in the prosthetic, so it would it would kind of keep the eyes shut. And there was one day I think that the the gauze got moved, and my eye didn't remain shut. And so, yeah, it, it got so to a point where your eye naturally waters, but there's no way for it to evaporate. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was just pretty gross underneath that prosthetic after the entire day. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how, how long? Uh, like, uh, what was the longest you had it on for at one time? Uh, I I would say it was at least six hours. Hmm. Uh, I I I would say that's probably the longest six. Because I mean, you would go in and do makeup in the very beginning of the day, and then you would wait, you know, around for your shoot and then shoot more stuff, and then and then towards the end of the day, you know, you'd wrap up. But everyone's working uh, really long hours, and so I would come in early and then you know get off set. So I think it was somewhere between six to eight hours. Yeah. Did you creep? Did you keep it afterwards, or are you like I get it right? Get it right. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, I actually, I, I should have, I should have put it on the wall somewhere and be like, this is the prosthetic guy. But it was, it, I mean, once you got it off, you just kind of like want to run from it. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think we kept, we kept anything from the from the silicone stuff that we did, right? No, we didn't actually. Not even Mark's piece, unfortunately. Even the theaters, even the theaters, man. Oh yeah, even the theaters. <laughs> Uh, I I really think uh, not only the effects are really cool, but sometimes I think this is overlooked. Is like the sounds 
uh, with the effects, and uh, it really works in this movie because you guys have, you know, some uh, gross sounds, uh, like especially too oh, yeah. when, the, when the there's a really awesome scene when the when like it's like there's like sacks of people almost like human larvae, and uh, I think I think the like the animalistic sounds in that really uh, really adds just to the weirdness and uh, off-putting uh, feel of that scene. Yeah. We- we had a really, really talented uh, sound designer who uh, his name's Darren, and uh, we, we honestly just got lucky because because uh, of, of getting introduced to him because the way he he took the film and just added so much with the with the effects uh, was it, it like every time we had the session uh, for for redoing the film we just were more and more blown away by what he did with it. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, is it hard because you you said earlier about you know wanted a movie where everything's out there. It's not necessarily you know a slow build, or uh, you don't really see what's happening. There's a lot of gore in this movie. Uh, was that hard to pull off uh, for an independent film? You know, budget uh, budget wise. It's mostly it's mostly time consuming, man. It's not that difficult to do. It just takes a while, you know. And thanks God, we were like we have a beautiful line producer who just got us. We actually had like, you know, we have enough days. We have like about 20 days to shoot the whole film, you know, which is pretty, I mean, 21 day, right? Which is, yeah. which is a lot of days for in the production. Since we just, we, we, we managed to negotiate, you know, the location, flat rate, and people were working basically, you know, for flat rates and for the ideas. And, you know, that's why, like, everyone was super involved in, in the project. Everyone was living together. It was like, you know, we had three houses up in, you know, up in the, up in the hills and mountains and the woods. And, you know, we were like a huge family and everyone just leaves there for one reason to make this film yeah. happen. So I, I don't remember, I don't recall like that many, you know, problems that we could have with the quarrying us over. You know, yeah, we have to clean all the stuff all the time, you know. Uh, yeah, I was wondering. Well, I mean, that, well there, there was a lot of stuff that we actually wanted to do that we couldn't necessarily execute perfectly. Because, um, I mean, I, I remember having a lot of conversations with Christina and she 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 was like, I wish I could do this this way, but we don't have enough money to do that. So, I mean, it, it, there is, there is challenges in getting kind of that, that perfect atmosphere. And I think, I think we were able to kind of pull it off with camera angles and various other things to, to not necessarily, you know, focus in on, on the makeup and certain scenes, but still make it so, so it worked. And I think the sound design also adds a lot to it as well yeah. to kind of build that tension and make all the, the, the gore really, really pop. But yeah, I mean, there's naturally a challenge because if we could, you know, have more close-ups and and make them look more realistic, it would I think could have helped, you know, the movie. But you you have that that balance of of trying to balance out, you know, the the financial aspect versus you know uh, what you can actually show. Yeah, you, see, you mentioned there got to clean up a lot. Uh, the people that used the house, did they know what you what you were going to make in it? And uh, did you get all the the blood and gore? No. Up for Good question. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think they understood exactly what we were going to make. I think they understood <laughs> that it was going to be a scary movie. <laughs> I don't think it was going to be like, oh, this is kind of like a possession based, you know, uh, horror film with all these witchcraft symbols all over your your house and right, right. and you. Know, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the funniest thing that we actually were shooting the, the basement stuff. If you, you've seen the basement stuff, right? Yeah, I've seen the movie. This was, yeah, this was shot in, in a church, in some kind of church in Inglewood. So, <laughs> and I don't think people knew what we're doing out there too. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that would have gone over well. <laughs> so you don't know if they've seen the finished movie either. 
they haven't for sure. That's, that's, yeah, hundred percent. They they, yeah. they, have, they definitely have not seen the, the the finished film just because it hasn't been released yet. We didn't share oh, it with okay. anyone yeah, outside of you know. Yeah. I've never even seen the owners. I don't think they ever came. Right? Like they just uh, to the to the to the original cast screening. No, the location. I mean, they have never. Oh seen no, them. no, they they never even came. I think the house itself yeah. actually uh, is is rented out all the time, and so I don't I don't know if it's just their vacation house or or what. But we we booked the entire place uh, through the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> Airbnb, man. Airbnb. There you go, man. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. But the uh, so you guys said you move you worked together before. What what did you work together on? Uh, one, I, I was in film school, uh, and we met like when 2000, 2013, I think, right, Billy? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I was just shooting one of my, you know, like school projects, and we, you know, it was like a little, little short film that we shot three days, and so when David came to the audition, and you know, we cast him, and that's how we, and then we became friends, and then we, oh, we wanted to do something, mm-hmm. and that's what happened. You know, it's pretty simple, it's like, yeah. But it was actually kind of a unique experience. I mean, in in my perspective, because I, I I went in and you, you know you shoot these these student films and you think, oh okay, you don't really know what you're going to get out of it or what it's going to look like or the quality of it or the type of people that you work with. Um, but uh, when I worked with Alex, it was it was a unique experience because he had a certain professionalism to his set that I just you would never expect uh, at a student level. And then also, um, I mean, he, he was very collaborative. He, a lot of people uh, tend to be a little bit more aggressive with directing the approach, but he was a lot more collaborative. And then on top of that, when I saw the final product, uh, it was just, it didn't look anything like a student film. It, it was just, it was really, really well shot and really well done. And that, that just impressed the hell out of me. So, mm-hmm. uh, Devin, you said that Alex, uh, you knew he was a horror movie fan. Uh, are, are you a horror movie fan? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 as a kid, I used to watch movies all the time. So, I mean, that, that 90s and early 2000 generation horror films were, were, were some of my favorite, you know, pieces, um, along with like old stuff like The Exorcist. But, I mean, I grew up with like Poltergeist and It and, you know, all those, those types of classics, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, Jason, uh, all that fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, Alex, what are some of your favorite horror movies? Uh... I'd say I really like, you know, the the, the closed spaces and like someone attacking, uh, like some kind of a station. Like I love the thing. I love aliens. Mm-hmm. You know, this type of horror. I love them. And uh, recently, I really liked It Follows. I think it was a great horror film. Uh, then you know, The Shining is always this. this I mean, it's so cliche. I mean, like I'm embarrassed to say it. So uh, what else? The same, the same stuff. You know, Friday the Thirteenth. And like on Elm Street, it's just I, I really I'm, I'm not enjoying the horrors of last decade that much because mm-hmm. they're I think they're too PG-13, and that's not why we love horror films. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all they're so family-oriented right now, and that's that was our idea, man. We were like, let's make a film with blood and boobs and just like you know guts and stuff. So <laughs> the, 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 the things that we all loved so much, you know, ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. No, there so, are. Yeah, but. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, think, I'm finished. Man. I'm finished. Oh, okay. I, saying, I, think, uh, I know there's some CG stuff uh, with the the ghosts or the whatever the demons outside, but uh, all the gore is that was that all practical? Yeah, yeah. The only CG stuff we have is uh, is the demons that are guarding the house outside, 
And other than that, everything else is practical. There's no blood or anything done in CGI. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was the hardest uh, scene to uh, to pull off? Hmm. Oh, yeah. The... Go ahead, man. Go ahead. Oh well, I mean, I mean personally, I was gonna say actually some of the some of the CG scenes I think were actually pretty hard to pull off, um, just because there there was a challenge there in, in in the fact of you know having the reaction build up and work right with with the CG effects that are that are happening that aren't actually present, and then getting the timing all right with what's actually going to happen because we didn't know exactly what these creatures would look like or how long they would persist or how they would attack. And so that, that to me was, was was one definite challenging scene from just a technical perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were so indie, we couldn't force with the CGI supervisor, so we only had him in post production. <laughs> and uh, yeah, for me, the, the, for me, the, 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 the like it was, I, I remember two scenes that were the most difficult for me from from the director's standpoint. The first one is when we switch from days to nights. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it doesn't really matter which scene it's going to be. It's just everyone becomes so slow and so, you know, you know, stupid in a way. Because, like, no one can work. Not not, not, not the crew, not, not actors. And it's awful switching nights to days. Mm-hmm. And then the, basically the crescendo of the film was that, like, the third act was uh, all shot pretty much in, like, two days or something like that. And it was like, there's so much gore. And we just were behind the schedule as always, you know, to the, like coming to the end of the shoot. And we had to shoot like twice more than we, you know, we were planning to shoot last few days. So that was the most challenging one for sure. And we, we just had like one take and just move on, you know, try to get but, the story done. Yeah, I think, I think, I think that was actually like the, the final 10 minutes of the film, essentially, um, that, that we got. And, and, and I, I, I think it was almost a day. I mean, I don't even know if it was two days, but I remember we exhausted the alphabet and went, uh, and, and what that means is essentially as you, as you change like your setup for, for yeah, we'll I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> As you as you change the setup for the the scene, you basically use a different letter to indicate like a different setup. And so we went through twenty six plus different setups for that particular scene. <laughs> all right. Uh, I also like that uh, you know all the main characters. It's not like uh, in a lot of movies they just uh, someone will get like stabbed and that's it. They're dead. Everyone's like a really long suffering death throughout like uh, the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, we we were intentionally going for it. I, 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 you know, like so. Damon's character Jesse, I think he gets stabbed like four, four or five times throughout the whole, whole film. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's a part of the part of of the ride, man. It's just like it's it's so amusing watching people, <laughs> you know, fight, injured, being injured, and a lot. And the demons loved it. So that's that's the whole idea of the demons. That's why, you know, they like and yeah. they enjoy. They enjoy playing with them. the game like that mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think it's also that that 90s fun you know like and that that's one of the ways we brought back in like kind of that that old horror feeling which is like these really resilient characters mm-hmm. where you, you almost kind of it's almost comedic to at, at a certain point because you come on there's no way that someone can live through all this <laughs> yeah. you know and it, it's just it's, it's enjoyable to me i, I don't know mm-hmm. it's weird because it kind of works both ways because like you said it's fun in a way to see them like you know keep coming back and you're like well how could why aren't they dead but also, like if you think about it, it's also really dark because, like, you're like, man, these people are are really us, uh, you know, suffering. They should just, you know, die already and, and get it over with. <laughs> yeah, it's a fight for for life, man. <laughs> uh, exactly. Exactly. 
So uh, it comes out uh, in theaters in February, uh, in theaters and on demand February 10th. And uh, so is it like uh, is it a limited release at, at uh, theaters? Yeah, it's going to be in in select theaters. Um, we actually haven't got the the the, the list of theaters yet from our uh, distributor, so we can't provide more details on that. But all we know is it's going to be select theaters. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would say it's really cool, obviously, to watch a movie, uh, you know, on your computer, on on the TV, or anything. But there's uh, if if you if you are uh, able to see it on the big screen, there's something special about seeing a a movie the way you know it's meant to be seen. Yeah. No. I mean, actually, I think uh, the the first time we saw it on on the big screen, it it it, it was a different movie to us. You know, it, it's kind of a unique a unique viewing opportunity, and you you see a lot more that you just wouldn't see on, especially on the computer, because uh, we've seen this a billion times on the computer, and seeing it on the big screen was entirely different. Yeah. Yeah. You see a lot of a lot more fuck ups as well. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna call those Easter eggs. Easter eggs. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I'm lucky uh, here. Uh, my partner on the show, Annabella, couldn't be here. But uh, there's a couple of theaters that show a lot of independent horror movies, and they also show midnight movies, like older ones. And uh, so, you know, I'm sure people out there, you know, can see theaters out like that around them. But it's really fun to, you know, go and see uh, these kind of movies on the big screen. Yeah, and I mean, we hope also that there will be a lot more, uh, like after after the showing, because I mean, we don't know all the theaters that have been set up for uh, for this, but we also hope that it will continue in some of the art house theaters that that love this type of content. Yeah, and so uh, the site's uh, bornlessones.com, dot com, and uh, what's the easiest way to find uh, both of you? Like, not like go and seek you out at your house, but you know, find you online. <laughs> Um, I'm I'm on Facebook and Twitter and uh, and pretty much all social media, uh, Instagram as well, under just my name, Devin Goodsell, uh, D-E-V-I-N-G-O-D-S-E-L-L. Yeah, same as me. I'm totally open, man. We're not we're not there yet. We're still accessible. <laughs> so what uh, what do you have coming out? Uh, you know, well, obviously you want people to see uh, the Bornless ones, but uh, what do you have coming out uh, or in the works after that? Uh, myself, uh, Alex, I'm, uh, I'm shooting a, f- a short horror film actually next week for this new platform called Creep TV. I don't know if you've heard of it. Hmm. No, I haven't. Yeah, so it's, no, it's, 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 they're growing fast, man. It's basically, they, they produce short, short form of, you know, horror content uh-huh. from all over the world, I guess, right now. And they're, you know, I think they work with like Bloomhouse and Eli Roth, so it's, it's kind of a pretty cool the company and, and they oh, have two million followers on, on on Facebook already. So, yeah. so I'm working for them, and we're shooting this little short film called Stereoscope. And then me and Devin, we have a few few projects in the works too, and you know a few f- features I've written. Mm-hmm. And right now we are in development, right, man? Yeah, I mean, I would we would love to give you names, but as as we mentioned before too, like Go Idea even even changed its names to Bornless One, so there's no way to really easily track it and how what it's going to be called in the future. But um, these are going to be more on the lines of, of thriller horror rather than like with, with a lot more suspense elements rather than just uh, just gore. So uh, hopefully we can we can maintain an audience that that's interested in our work. Yeah. Devin, how how um, involved are you? Uh, you know, besides acting in the movies, because it sounds like you know. Uh, you came up with some of the ideas and stuff from Bornless Ones. Like, so how involved are you in the movies, uh, in making the movies besides just uh, as the actor? Um, I mean, I, I, I have a, a, a pretty long business background as well. So I, I, I 
like the producing angle. And so I, I think from a production standpoint, like I, I'm involved on the side of, of, of producing the film and, and trying to uh, allocate the resources and handle any of the outside, you know, marketing stuff or anything on that side. Um, and also just trying to set up all the contracts and deal with all legal aspects. So it, it's also a, a very um, producer centric involvement as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, another quick question is uh, we have a lot of, um, uh, independent filmmakers listen to the show, and uh, some people who are aspiring filmmakers who uh, listen to the show. What just like uh, basic advice would you give them for someone who wants to make their first movie? We are also aspiring filmmakers, man. <laughs> 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 yeah, the, honestly, it, honestly, it started it started so quickly and escalated so quickly, and you know, and like it was just me and Devin. That's like two of us, and we didn't have any connections. I just finished the film school. Devin never done a film before, you know. Like, like, I mean, as a, as a producer as well. So, and we just we just started doing it, man. And then we saw, you know, other people, our friends, watching us writing the script, you know, brainstorming. And they were like, "What are you guys doing?" And we're like, "We're producing a movie. You want to be involved?" And some people were like, "Fuck yeah!" You know. And that's how we basically raised all the money because just two friends they were excited about us doing something. Yeah. You know, we got very lucky, of course. And yeah, yeah, it's, we just went for it, man. Yeah, I think the the biggest thing is you just have to try and not be afraid of trying. I mean, there's, there's always going to be a hundred roadblocks in your way and a and, and in you know in in your mind and also just in in life in general. And you just have to kind of just ignore those and just keep trying and pushing forward. And I think it was a good balance between Alex and I, to where I got a little scared or whatever that, that it wouldn't come to together. And you know, Alex pushed me, and you know, it was it was kind of that that teamship. So I think go out you know, and, and, and try and find people that are interested in what you're doing and, and get them on board and then just, just push through the boundaries. And then, I mean, another piece of advice is, you know, um, uh, just, just work hard too. Um, there, there were some people in, in this production that, that worked incredibly hard and, you know, I mean, that, that just means so much to us and we'll, we'll continue, you know, working with them as, as, uh, we develop further. Um, and there was others who, who kind of just shied away from it. And so, I mean, just kind of keep that in mind that, that hard work is definitely respected and definitely takes notice. And so just try to be that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I, if I may add something too, uh, like the, the, the funniest thing, we actually, we never, we never knew what, what to do with the film after we like edited it and locked the, the cuts because we, me and David, we never been through the process. Right. Mm-hmm. And we had no idea how to find, you know, distributors, how to find sales, sales people, <laughs> And we've never been there, you know, and like we don't have connections, we don't know any producers, there's no producers attached who's done who's done something. So we just went to AFM, American Film Market, right? Like yeah, year, year and a half ago. And, you know, for two days. Just, you know, talked to everyone around and then we just knocked on every door and just came in at every door and with a trailer and we like we were like, Guys, you wanna see see an indie horror film trailer that we shot? And some people were like, No, and some people were like, Sure, you know, and that's that's how it all happened. That's very cool. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. I mean, it was it was a very interesting experience. But I mean, just just try to keep pushing through doors, and eventually someone will open and be interested. Yeah, yeah it's cool that you guys uh, seem to get along well, have similar interests, and uh, seem like you worked uh, together well. I think that would that's another good thing to have uh, people that you can collaborate with. Oh no! I was just going to say, like it, it is, it is a very unique uh, friendship to be able to collaborate and openly discuss things and not feel attacked or, or just trust another person. So I mean, if you, if other people can find that in in the world, I mean, just the stuff that people could create is amazing. Because it, 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 it's always better when you when you find people that you can just bounce ideas off of and work together on. Yeah. 
So uh, Bornless Ones, I really enjoyed it. And kind of like what you guys said, it was it's a really a lot of fun uh, to watch. Uh, I thought, because I'm kind of weird, I I found it funny, but uh, I thought maybe most people wouldn't, but apparently some other people do. So, But it's very dark, and it's uh, but it's a lot of fun, because I like to see a lot of gore, and it was uh, that kind of Thanks, man. It was really cool. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, thank you both for coming on tonight. Yeah, Today. thank you for your run. <laughs> Thanks. Hey, this is Bill Mosley, Otis Driftwood, and Shop Top Sawyer, and you're listening to Without Your Head. Welcome to the Station of Decapitation Without Your Head. I'm Nasty Neil, and I'm joined by Bill Oberst of Hunting Grounds. How are you doing? I like Station of Decapitation, Neil. You know, it's, it's clever. Thank you, thank you. I'm proud of it. It's kind of hard to find something that rhymes with decapitation, so now I'm thinking of others. Yeah, that's very true. It, it is very hard. Incapacitation, which is in the, sort of the same wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah. We can maybe make like a rap, the decapitation rap, but we'd have to think of a lot of words. <laughs> uh, absolutely. I love that. If you could, we could rival Hamilton. You know, that's a really good idea. I wonder if there's been a hip-hop horror musical in the, in the works. That I don't know. That I would I would love to see that. It's a darn good idea. Well, I'm glad to talk to you, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, glad to have you here. And now we have a project in the works. But, um, so. <laughs> So Hunting Grounds is a Bigfoot movie. If you want to give people an idea of what it's about, uh, what makes it different from other uh, Bigfoot films? You know, I can't, when I was a kid, I was a big Bigfoot enthusiast, and I still have lots of books and evidence on it. It's really, I don't know if it's funny or sad that we've come to the point where people would say, well, how is your Bigfoot movie different from other Bigfoot movies? <laughs> uh -huh. How many have there been? But I guess probably if you count them up, there have been a lot. I would answer that question by saying that this isn't a Bigfoot movie. This is a Sasquatch movie, mm. and geeks geeks will understand the difference um, because Sasquatch are a potentially real, actual animal that lives undetected somewhere in the Northwest and possibly has relatives in other parts of the world. And Bigfoot is uh, <laughs> Bigfoot is a, a horror movie creature. So this is not a creature feature. Mm -hmm. This is a, a family drama about a father and son who end up out in the woods because of economic circumstances. And the director chose to treat the, treat the Sasquatch as if they really were like actual creatures. What would their family structure be like and what would it be like for them if someone invaded their, their area? So um, there are frightful moments in it, uh, but the Bigfoot are treated with respect. Oops, I mean Sasquatch. Yeah. No, I was actually going to bring up both those points because it was interesting to see, uh, you know, like the clan of big, uh, big uh, Sasquatch. Sorry, and uh, I also like the fact that it is, uh, even though they're really vicious in the movie, that a lot of it is, you know, uh, you know, a man, inv you know, going further into uh, the wilderness or uh, where they shouldn't be, and then you invade their territory, much like a creature from the Black Lagoon. Well, you know, Neil, this yeah, this is a great divide among horror fans because horror has. Uh, there's two groups that I'm in contact with, and and one of them, horror has denigrated down to the point of, I want action immediately, like I want it within minutes. I want to be scared, and then I want to be continually scared. And then there's others who want sort of a slow build. And you can't make a movie that pleases both. And so this movie is definitely made for the people who want to build up and care about the characters, and then have uh, the enjoyment. So you probably don't want to be drunk. It's not a drunk movie or a shot movie. Uh -huh. It's more like uh, cuddle up with your honey and watch a movie that's a little bit creepy. Yeah, yeah. Now, how did you get involved in it? And uh, what was uh, what was interesting about the movie for you? 
Well, John Portanova of the October People contacted me. He wrote the script, and he's a director. And I like the October People because all of their features have followed this, you know, make people care about the characters first. They're really stubborn about this, even though people who don't like it will say, ah, you know, I want to see the monster. I was watching a minute, and I didn't see the monster. (laughs) And they're really stubborn about making you care about characters. That was interesting to me. And then secondly, my character's name in this, I'm a supporting character, not this star. (laughs) My character's name is Bauman. And... Bauman was a name familiar to me from reading about Bigfoot as a kid. Teddy Roosevelt, in 1897, spoke to a hunter who had seen something that we would today call a Sasquatch. And his name was Bauman, and Roosevelt wrote about it in a book that was published in 1900. And so that, I thought it was pretty cool that he had that sense of history. My guy is a guy who goes out in the woods to look for treasure, and instead he finds that he's in Sasquatch ground. So I, I guess the short answer is I like the intelligence of it. I'm really, really drawn, Neil, to intelligent horror mm-hmm. because all the horror fans that I've met are pretty sharp. They're really smart people. They think a lot, but a lot of times the producers think it's tits and blood, and um, mm-hmm. I don't like that. It's, it, you know, it kind of reduces the genre down to a joke. Yeah, I'd agree with that, uh, 100%. That seems like uh, you know a bit about Sasquatch and uh, and Bigfoot. Like, uh, is it something you're interested in before the movie? Absolutely. Um, I've always been interested. A and Sasquatch, and B, I think maybe even more interestingly than does Sasquatch exist, is why do we want Sasquatch to exist so much? Mm-hmm. And other things like Sasquatch, and as, as I've grown older, I believe that it's because um, we've got sort of a hole in our soul, humanity does, and we want something to be mysterious. Um, it doesn't matter how many times people tell us these are the facts of the physical world. There's something in us that wants something mystical and something otherworldly and something that we don't understand. And as you know, religion has played a, a smaller and smaller role in public life and in people's lives, that hole is un- un- unfilled. And she can fill it with all types of stuff, but one of them is belief that there must be animals out there that we haven't yet discovered. I know that's, that's it for me. I, I really do want Sasquatch to exist. And the Loch Ness Monster. I want there to be things that we have not yet discovered. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, just recently there was a new discovery of the ghost shark, which was like a, you know, was a cryptoid before that people didn't think existed, but uh, they discovered it just like a couple months ago. I think that's fantastic. It's good for us to be thrown on our ass, and it's good for the world to say to us, you don't know everything. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, it's a kind of weird question, but you uh, scream a lot in the movie. And, yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, is there any preparation involved in uh, in getting a good scream for the film? Yes, <laughs> I've learned it from screen queens that I've worked with. Uh, yeah. I was going to bring up screen, <laughs> but I, yeah, I didn't know if it would insult you or not. But right. You need to do abs first. You got to do your abs first because the scream has to come from way down. If you pull it from way way down in your abs, then you can scream for a long time and get a really sustained scream. Mm-hmm. I just did Death House with Barbara Crampton, and she screamed magnificently. What a great screen and everybody on set. I never heard a screen get set applause. Uh, and that's what she does. She pulls it from way down. But John let my character scream a lot. I don't usually get to scream. I'm usually like the quiet type uh, in these movies. And the only other director who let me scream as much was Trevor Yinger in a movie called Coyote, which is a micro budget. I got to scream my head off and uh, it's it's a lot of fun to scream. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say maybe maybe the uh, robber will get you into the scream queen like uh, camp, but maybe that's not really a <laughs> <laughs> I'd make a really ugly scream queen. Ah, <laughs> oh, no, no. Uh, along those lines, I don't want to be offensive to you, but you know, I've known uh, you for you work for a long time, and you have a very mm. interesting face. And uh, I was just wondering, um, 
Was that hard? Was that ever something that was against you trying to get into acting, or anything, or was it more of like motivation? No, it's not offensive at all. I mean, it's how I make my living, um, and I've talked to other people with unusual faces about this, Michael Berryman, and many other people who work in in our genre. It's an asset. I did theater for 16 years, stage. So I made my living, and you have the, the the distance and the lighting and the makeup, and you can play all types of things. So mostly what I did was comedy um, and historical characters on stage. And then when I started to mess around with film, I found that I couldn't get cast unless I was cast as a really, really dark character. And in researching, you know, I found out this makes perfect sense because the camera sees planes and angles, and if your face is sharp and angular, it really likes that, and the camera likes it even more if your face has textures so that shadows can fall within points of your faces. Um, this is why, usually, um, if you have acne scars, you will be cast as an evil person, because the human brain is hardwired to look at a person who has scarring and an uneven complexion, and our brain is hardwired to say, oh my God, there's something wrong with that person. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very silly, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a human hardwiring, and yeah. you can't fight against it. And you can get some great effects on screen when you when you go with it. Yeah, that's really interesting. Kind of take uh, like the psychology of what people are thinking when they're watching a movie, and uh, uh, you know, use it to your advantage. Totally. I mean, it's archetypes. It's the same as said to me. We're not doing anything different than we did when we sat around a campfire and told stories, and people made facial expressions. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. I mean, look at Karloff. You have this long line of people who are horrifying on screen. And in life, they're the sweetest, gentlest people. It's 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 a cliche and a stereotype, but it's very true. I've never met anybody who played killers or horrible people who, in real life, wasn't gentle, sweet, and soft-spoken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speak, Karloff's actually uh, the picture on my phone, by the way. So, so. Uh, which Karloff you got? Uh, him as Frankenstein. Oh, that's great, man. The original, 31? Yes, definitely. definitely. That's the best makeup, because Jack Pierce build, build up the head with uh, cotton and collagen. Mm-hmm. The more they got away from that, the less I like it. But I really, really love that. You know, one of the best Frankenstein makeups was one that was not used. Um, I've got a German poster for it. You may have seen it, where they had uh, sort of bolts up on the forehead. Mm-hmm. You know, these, these long, horizontal, pointed bolts mm-hmm. up on the top of his forehead on either side? They look, kind of look like horns. Mm-hmm. That's a great makeup. Look up the German poster. It wasn't used, I guess, because they thought it was a little too horrible, but it's one of my favorite. Yeah. I, I, I really like that. Yeah. Uh, it's one of my favorite movies, too, is Frankenstein, the original Frankenstein. But uh, In this movie, uh, for the, the Bigfoot and the Sasquatch and this, John Portanova um, used some creature actors who he really worked with to try to get realistic movements for how actual animals who are Sasquatch would move and even what they would eat and how they would... There's a scene where I'm trapped in one of their caves... And, you know, how they would crouch down and how they would pick up the food and put it in their mouth. I found it fascinating. Yeah, I like that, too. I, I get to see the movie. And um, I don't give too much away of the movie, but in your own, like, head, do you think, like, do you come up with a reason, like, why uh, the Sasquatch, like, uh, keep you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I absolutely did. I, I don't think that they meant any harm. Mm-hmm. I think they keep you for the same reason that I would keep a pet or something I thought was interesting or cute. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Uh, I, 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 I don't think that they meant any harm at all. They, they might have just been curious. Um, yeah, or maybe they wanted to send a lesson, but in my mind, they just thought they had a pet. Yeah. 
So, uh, is it uh, easier? Because uh, I know you've you've done movies with both practical and uh, CG. Is it easier as an actor to work with, uh, you know, something that's actually there? Someone you totally know, is. Yeah, um, green screen. I mean, if everything's green screen, it's cool. But if you're doing a lot of practical and then you got one green screen effect, mm-hmm. um, it's harder. Abraham Lincoln versus zombies. All of the decapitations were green screen effects. Mm-hmm. And so in order to get the movement and make it feel right, I had to ask an actor, you know, would you stand safely out of reach so I can't reach your head, but let me swing. And let me just get the feel of the thing, because sometimes it's hard with the screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love blood pumps and blood cannons and, you know, decapitations and those type of things that, that are done practically. I think the audience likes them better, too, because we've yeah. all gotten to the point now where, right, where we could look. You know, Rogue One, mm-hmm. it's not Peter Cushing. Yeah, And it's cool that they recreated the character, mm-hmm. and it looks a lot like Peter Cushing, but I still say that there's something about a CGI shot or character that the human brain, just something in there says, something's weird. There's something a little funky here. Yeah, that's something we talk about on the show a lot. A lot of time, I think it's with uh, like the weight. You can tell it's not necessarily there, but, but for a character mm. like that... Um, uh, yeah, it's almost like it's not a, you know, you can just tell it's not a real person. And then it, it, that kind of takes you out of it. Uh, I'm really mixed on it because, uh, in, in, like you said, in one way it's kind of, it's cool because you see it right away and it's like, oh, it's Peter Cushing. But there's also a thing about it's like, um, you know, it's, he's not alive. He's not there. It kind of, in a way it kind of takes away of what an actor brings to a role because it's like, well, we mm-hmm. can just, uh, put someone else in there and put their face over it and, you know, it'll be mm-hmm. the same guy, but there's more, there's more to, uh, to an actor, especially a good actor, uh, than just, you know, what they look like. Yeah, there is. There, you're absolutely right. And even if you copy expressions from one performance, which I know they did in movements and tried to match it frame by frame, the actor might not play the role that time. He might put another little shading and nuance. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, that's far afield from your question. But yes, I, I love practical effects. And John, you know, this is a not a, a very high budget picture, a medium budget picture. And so John used practical effects. And I really was applauding for doing it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I uh, I thought the Bigfoot, uh, the Sasquatch looked uh, great in the movie. Was it all played by uh, one guy, or was it multiple actors? Yeah, I think it was one guy in different suits. I know that there were three different suits. Mm-hmm. It's hard to find really, really tall people <laughs> who are really good at playing creatures. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we were, in the, we were shot in the woods of Washington State, uh-huh. and it was pretty creepy, Neil, because, like, um, you know, I had an afternoon off, so I just hiked on up. We were at a ski resort, and I hiked up and got off the path and went up to where the actual, you know, huge big trees are. The forest there, it's it's so quiet, you know? It's like it's like you're walking on padded cotton, mm-hmm. and you can't hear anything. And just even in the when it's sunny, you only get little shafts of light coming through. Mm-hmm. It was pretty creepy. I was actually kind of hoping that I might see something or hear something <laughs> out there. I stayed out there all afternoon. Yeah. Yeah, does that add to uh, like uh, the role, like the atmosphere, when you're uh, you're actually you know in in the actual setting? You know it, yes. Much it's much easier than stepping onto a soundstage. Um, you know, it really helps you. Yeah, it helps you a lot to be out in the actual setting. It's tough for low budget films to do it, but they were lucky enough to get this ter- tremendous setting, which I thought added a lot. Yeah, and uh, by the way, uh, Hunting Ground comes out February seventh. And I really enjoyed it, so uh, I hope people check it out. Yeah, man, it'll be out on VOD, 
And um, I hope people dig it, too. You know, this is a movie that female horror fans can enjoy, too. I hear from female horror fans a lot, more than males, actually, for some reason. They like my creepy sensitivity. But I hear from them, and they say, you know, we really wish that horror films had more character in them, more characters that you could get to know and care about. Because mm-hmm. um, I think that's a female trait is to want to care. They're the care and nurturing, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so the, and this is a film that, so, yeah, a horror guy and a hard girl could watch together and um, maybe both enjoy that that's kind of a rarity too yeah and uh what's the best way to f- to find you not like at your house but uh to follow you <laughs> follow the blood trail <laughs> uh, i am i'm on social media um bill Overs jr is my twitter name and that's my facebook name and so i'm pretty easy to find if you just google my name or if you even Google creepy actors or creepy torso <laughs> actors for a while there, I was known as having creepy torso. And oh, really? That's I, was, I was leading the search results in that, me and Christian Bale from The Machinist. <laughs> oh, okay. So, yeah, but I, I love to hear from, um, from fans. I love to hear from people who have real thoughts about horror because mm-hmm. I love this genre. It meant so much to me as a kid. I was a misfit. I felt like a monster myself. Mm-hmm. I was so different in every way. And I love these monsters. And so I've grown up with a deep affection in my heart for the genre, and it pains me to see it denigrated as, oh, you know, horror, that's, you know, it's just it's just a cheap, throw some blood at the screen and people are fine. Mm-hmm. So and I love to hear from people who have real thoughts about it and where the genre should go. And, mm-hmm. so, and so I urge people to say hello. Yeah, just sort of quick along those lines, what were some of your favorite uh, your uh, horror characters uh, growing up? Of course, the Phantom. All um, characterizations of the Phantom. I think. I think that was probably my single favorite, because the Phantom is there's this artist archetype archetype called the wounded monster, and I like it best of all. And it's the creature that didn't ask to be born, didn't ask mm-hmm. to be what it is, and that society bears a large responsibility for creating it by the way they've treated it. Mm-hmm. And um, that's Eric and the original Phantom of the Opera. In the original, nobody threw acid in his face. He was born that way. He's a freak. Mm-hmm. And I'm really partial to freaks. I like werewolves for the same reason. I used to, I wanted to walk like a werewolf so much. I wanted to know what it felt like. So I used to go out at night on my bicycle. I don't know if I've told anybody this in my family, but when everybody was asleep, I'd go out on my bicycle and ride out to the railroad tracks. And I would try to walk along the, the railroad ties as a werewolf, like Lon Chaney Jr. did, you know, raised up on your mm-hmm. toes. And howl at the moon, just to get the feeling for what it would be like to be a lonely werewolf out there under the moon. That's the kind of weird kid I was. That's pretty awesome. But just real quick, uh, actually, at Halloween, uh, Annabelle uh, and I, uh, my co-host on the show, but she can't be here uh, right now, is uh, we went to see Phantom of the Opera, the original uh, um, silent one, with a live oh, yeah? orca- with a live orchestra. And it was like, you know, kind of like how they originally would show the movie. And that was like one of the greatest experiences. Oh, man, I love Cheney's performance in that. I mean, it's a silent movie, and it's jerky, and, you know, it looks kind of silly to us. But there's this one moment, the one moment that gets me is after he's unmasked, Mm -hmm. and he's playing for her, he's unmasked, and he looks at her, and you see he's angry, but he's also hurt at the exact same time. Mm -hmm. And you can see in his eyes this change from... um, I hope that you can love me to he's accepted. I'm going to be a freak to her too. I'm going to be a freak to this person I love. And so if you want a freak, I'm going to show you a freak. And he throws Mary Philbin to the floor. I mean, he throws her. Mm -hmm. 
she hits the floor. And then when he points at her and he looks down and he says, feast your eyes, glut your soul on my accursed ugliness. And our modern equivalent of that would be, is this what you wanted to see, bitch? This is what you wanted to see? Uh-huh. And it gives me chills every time I watch it because she couldn't, she could not overlook this one thing he asked her to do to respect mm-hmm. about him. Yeah. She loves being the star. Mm-hmm. He helped create her. But she's got to be curious, and that's so the way society treats people who are different. Mm-hmm. Is we got to pick, we got to pick, we got to bully, we got to bully, and then we create a monster. Mm-hmm. So I think we're all Dr. Frankenstein's in that way, that we can create monsters by the way we treat other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she was all about him before that moment too. This an oh yeah, she's all about it, of course, because of what she got from him. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and and because she's imagining, oh well, he must be handsome under there. Mm-hmm. But then when she sees that he's not handsome, and I can really. I can relate to that a lot because, um, I mean, my acne was so bad in school. I had cystic acne, it was called, and there wasn't good treatment for it at the time. But I remember a kid coming up in the library and saying, can't you do anything about your face? It's making us sick. And, you know, there's, I did not have a good answer for that until about 10 years later. I thought I could have said no, but I could do something about your face. <laughs> uh, but it was too late then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, this is the way we treat people who are different. And uh, it's a damnable demonic thing that we do when we bully people. Uh, so I always tell kids, be really careful because you're creating monsters. Mm-hmm. Very well said. Well, I want to thank you uh, for talking to uh, me today, and we'd love to have you back sometime. Neil, I truly enjoyed it, man. I hope people check out Hunting Grounds February, and I hope they enjoy it. Thank you. Thanks, man. Yeah.